0: All right, here we are. Here we are. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back. (laughs) I didn't get a rump out of that guy. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that was a, hey, it's the old guy podcast. (laughs) Let's talk about old guy stuff. I was sitting
0: on my back porch.
1: (laughs) Sipping some lemonade. Hey, you kids, get out of my yard. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Hey, this is Ollie.
0: And this is Scott.
1: And this is science in between. And this is, we're really digging into the in between today. Kind of, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I
0: mean, this is, this is maybe a little off brand for us, but, um, but I think in some respects it's, well, let me, let me say what it is and then we can, uh, we can get into it. Sure. Um, So both Allie and I have had leadership roles in higher ed and and both of us are, are taking on more of that recently. So Um, You know, one of the things we've been thinking about is is just that, you know, higher ed is and and K-12 ed are systems. They're big systems. But one of the shifts that's been slowly happening, but is it's now happening at an accelerating pace, is that both K-12 and higher ed are being asked to operate much more like businesses. Um, And there are all sorts of pros and cons to that we can talk about. Um, but that's not really what we want to talk about. What We no. do want to talk about is the result of that shift means that people in roles um, both in K-12 and higher ed now have to think much more about the way their organization works as a system instead of just being able to, you know, Oh, we, we teach classes and we, you know, do research and, and we sort of do our thing now. Um, leaders are having and and um just folks in in the you know rank and file are having to think more about like well how do we do our work how do we right. how do we organize these systems so that we can accomplish what we're trying to accomplish because it's getting increasingly more like a business and it's getting increasingly technologically driven like so much of our work is is done through technology and most of us haven't thought deeply about how that technology impacts the way we work. It's just you know a thing that we use. So, so want well, to try to dig into that a little bit.
1: There's one more factor that I think is really um, that impacts this. It's you know in higher ed we talk about this thing called the en- enrollment cliff, hmm. and it's uh, you know the folks who look at look at these uh, th- these data, they're like, hey, look, the number of high school graduates are decreasing, and and they've predicted in 2025 that there's this coming enrollment cliff in which the, the number of high school graduates will drop precipitously. It's just not, it's more from a factor of not, not kids aren't graduating. It's just that there's just less students, right? There are less students in K to 12. There, like, I know you're, some of us are going, well, my high school is growing. Well, other high schools are not other high schools are like really uh, decreasing in size. And so overall, the overall Number of students who are going into higher ed is decreasing, and that 's really going to have an impact on a lot of schools we 're going to see some some schools make it, and some schools don 't mm-hmm. and that and and those of us who have been working in leadership roles have seen this have seen it coming. And some schools are positioning themselves really well for you know this enrollment cliff, and and uh, like considering the types of work they're doing, the kinds kinds of things they're doing with their students, the ways they support students, and the processes and things that they do to support students. And then other schools are just like, we'll just keep what we've always been okay. We'll yeah. just keep doing what we're doing, or maybe you know becoming a little bit more, you know, like you say. Um, Focusing more on the bottom line and just saying, okay, if we do that, if we focus on the back end, like the the business side of things, then we're going to be okay. And I to say they're not going to be okay. Yeah, There there's some treacherous days ahead. It's an existential crisis for some from some colleges. Yeah, there absolutely. For sure, is. it is.
0: Well, and the pandemic gave us an early peek at that, right? Because oh, it did. Because there are a lot of small colleges and universities, in particular, that that went out of business that are no longer around as a result of the pandemic. And, um, and, and there are more to come and there are more to come. So thinking about what that means for us and what that means, I mean, you know, fundamentally one of the, one of the biggest differences between leadership in a, in an academic institution and leadership in a business is that the folks in an academic institution have no training to do their work. Like I'm a faculty member, right? So, and in education, at least many of us have some kind of teaching background. So that component of the work, but there there are people in my university who got no teacher training either. Yeah. But so they didn't learn how to do that part of their job. And then now they're being asked to just because they're faculty members and who knows what the criteria are. But now it's like, oh, well, you're going to be a department head or you're going to be an associate dean or you're going to be a dean. dean
1: or, or, right. or, or president, right? right? It's like,
0: and your, your you training know, for that is zero, right? Right. You so are
1: running a multi-million dollar organization. Billion
0: billion. Yeah, or
1: billion like yeah. Penn State. Like, you yeah. know, Millersville is a, you know, probably a couple hundred million, maybe a like a hundred and twenty million uh dollar institution. You know, Penn State is a billion dollar institution. Yeah. You know, and yeah. and we're our president, who's who's a who's a good guy, he's a trained biologist. Yeah. Like like I think he's a botanist, you yeah. know. And which is not like knocking botany or his background. It's just that would, would we like, I don't know if you like, yeah, I don't know. I I mean, that's just, I think is one of the aspects of the problem. Right. Yeah.
0: But I mean, one of the challenges too is, is I think at least those of us in academia don't really want universities to operate just like businesses, because there are reasons why it shouldn't. It's a different type of organization. So this idea of like, oh, and and this has happened in higher ed. is like, oh, well, we're going to go out and find some Fortune 500 CEO and hire them to be our president because they're right. going to run it more efficiently. And it's like, well, yeah, there's a problem with that because efficiency is not necessarily exactly what you're after in a higher ed institution because institutions of learning are, are not efficient. And we've talked about all sorts of reasons why that's not sure. the case. But, um, so there is this tension. And I think, um, what we thought we'd talk about today is just some of our thinking about that and how we're thinking about it and what we're thinking about it. And, um, I'll say one more thing. This was spurred by, um, my finding this book called come up for air, which is, um, by Nick Sonnenberg. And I'll talk a little bit about that, but, um, but it it basically helps you think about well, if you're going to be running an organization or a group of people and it applies to teams as small as three and teams as big as you know thousands, um how do you think about doing that work in a way that doesn't force you to spend all your time? Doing the work about the work, which is he he talks about, which is like, you know, digging through your email for that file. Oh, Ali sent right. me that Word document. Where is it again? Was it in an email? Did he text it to me? Did he put it up in Google Docs? Did he write this this and then meetings, which is the other killer in in all right. organizations. How we which use is, meetings, yeah. right?
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's like if if a lot of time is spent just triaging stuff, right? Yeah. Then there's probably a like a system or a process that needs to be re- revised. Right. I mean, that's not a knock on the people who are creating those systems. It's just that, and maybe those systems worked at some other point, but they're not working now. And so right. if most of your time is just spent cleaning up stuff. Now this, I, I don't mean to go off on a rant, but this is something that happened to re- me recently. We have, um, you know, we have a lot of pre-service teachers at Millersville and Um, one of the things that happened recently is, I mean, we have to, students have to have clearances to go out and to work in the field. And so this is, um, really inside baseball. And I apologize if you're not in higher, if you're not in higher ed and you don't work with, you know, teachers and teacher education, I apologize. But, uh, so we have these students who have to go out in the field and they have to get clearances. And that's a requirement. And, and that's, you know, from an ethical and, you know, legal standpoint, that's all fine and good. Um, but what happens is our field service office will just, query the, you know, the registrations in the fall and just purge all the students who don't have clearances. And so you'll get a list of 200, 250 students who are just removed from classes. And, and their, their point of view is like, well, hold on. Like they, we've told them multiple times they need these clearances through email or whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and they didn't do it. And so Out. they Out Mm -hmm. they go. And sometimes it's, you know, and this happened last Monday. Last Monday, this email went out to students and to faculty. And now faculty and these students are spent two weeks, the last two weeks, triaging this, right? I have so many students who are contacting me and say, I submitted it. I have it. Or, you know, I did this and then there was a hiccup with the state. And then because all of these are multi-layer processes, right? It's not just yep. them. It's a, it's a system embedded in a system embedded in a system. Yep. And it's, it's so challenging, right? Yep. And, and, yep. It, and this is something I said to you before the show is that with this existential crisis that's looming, the schools and colleges who do that kind of stuff well, who, who get it and say, you know what? There's a problem with our process. Let's fix that process. Mm-hmm. and they make it easier for students not from an academic standpoint but to make it easier for students to actually navigate the challenges because the challenges are the challenges we don't have to create more right, right. we don't have to create more challenges by like cuz i would say you know there are some of our our departments on campus where if we went hey you know what this isn't really working can we think of other ways to do it they would bristle They would bristle at that. They'd go, what are you talking about? We do this and we send out the emails to students and they're just not following directions. It's like, well, something isn't right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. So that brings to mind two things for me. So one is there's a famous quote from um, Edwards Deming. um, The system is perfectly designed to get the results it gets. Right. So this. Oh, that's awesome. Right. So. So the results that your system was set up to get is that 250 students get purged at the beginning of every semester. Like the system is designed for that to happen. And how do we know that? Because it happens consistently and it happens in the same way. Right. So that's the first thing is like we have to examine our systems because they are pretty. And and that directly leads into the second part of this, which is this systems work and these, you know, making processes clearer and and more transparent and more supportive of students. That's an equity issue. Like, absolutely. We, we need we like if if first, if students with lots of privilege and background and experience in higher ed who like me who have parents who've gone through higher education right mm-hmm. like we have a very different interaction with these systems than the first generation students, the 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 students who don't have that sort of pri- privilege and access to that experience because they don't know how to do any of this stuff and they don't have somebody to ask that's not within the institution, right? Like if I have a problem or my kids have a problem, my kids can come to me and say, hey, you know, I get this notice from these people called the bursar's office. What is that and what does it mean? And And other kids don't know what that means and they have to try and figure it out on their own so th- so this this double prong thing of like we want to have systems that are set up to produce the results we actually want and we want those systems to be transparent and clear and accessible to everybody so that we have equity um not because we want not other definitions of equity but this is a a primary definition of equity which is to say People should have the right to understand the system they're engaged in and be able to engage with it reasonably. Because if there isn't a system, and this is the way it usually is, right? If there's no clear procedure or whatever, the people who are advantaged are the people who get it. And and so it becomes an even more extreme difference, right? Because they know how to manipulate the system. They have more power. And it it changes the dynamic of of those people's interaction with the system.
1: Yeah, I got to I- I got another like soapbox moment. Here. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> well, because, you know, <laughs> we found out in, in the spring, and this is, you know, college level, I mean, uh, university level work that, um, that there would be holds on students' accounts. So they couldn't register. And they're like, mm-hmm. we have all of these freshmen or all these sophomores who were unable to register. And then when they looked into why they couldn't register, it was for like a, like a $25 or $50 right. hold. And they're like, hold on. You now I get they students have to pay their bills, right? Yeah. But the students didn't even know those bills were on there. That's why they're like, and we don't have it. I can't register. And so we're like literally keeping a hundred, two hundred, three hundred students from registering for classes for twenty five dollars.
0: Yeah. Which talk about cutting off your nose to spite your face, right? Right. So,
1: and uh, talking about coming back to equity issues, yeah. right? You know, if this is and when you get into the equity issues, it's just like, you know, it's turtles the whole way down, right? right. Because, yeah. you know, one of the things with uh, students, with especially students who get financial aid, is that they'll start the semester, especially the fall semester, and their student aid doesn't actually come until a couple months in. Yeah. And so – when we we have, you know, textbooks, right? Textbook requirements and students don't have the money to buy the textbooks, So we've yeah. been like doing a lot of stuff on campus to try to get uh, open educational resources. That's a, a perfect example of trying to change the system mm-hmm. to make it better for the students and and, and make it better for all students, but specifically maybe a population of students who might be marginalized. Because when I said it to student to, to some faculty, well, you know, they you know the students who come on financial aid, they're not going to get their actual first check until like mid October. Some of them, or mm-hmm. so then we set up a loan program where students can borrow money and then pay it back. You know, mm-hmm. and so yep. those are the kinds of creative solutions. You know, or a, a textbook borrowing pro- process, or hey, put. Put a textbook on in the library and put it on, you know, reserve so a student can check it out or take a look at it. You know,
0: yep. yeah. Sorry, that just took me on a tangent because this this weekend there was a thing about the Internet Archive and losing a. Oh, suit I to saw publishers that. And I
1: saw, I saw that. Saw,
0: oof, talk about yeah. libraries are in trouble right now. But um, you know, in in multiple there are multiple layers to that. Under yeah, we have a schools li- getting we
1: could have a library episode. Right, we should bring a librarian could, on. We, we could good. just talk.
0: Um, you know, oh we bring gosh. my mom on. She's a librarian.
1: Oh, uh, oh, that'd be great. Yeah. yeah.
0: So yeah. So I mean, I think these these are the things that we, you know, that I I'll be honest, I didn't think much about, right? Like I thought about these processes at the classroom level to some degree, right? Like, how do I think about processes there? But thinking about this as an at an organizational level really shifts your perspective on things. Like you really have to articulate things in a way that you didn't before. Um, and I think that's, you know, like it, because there is a – in a classroom, you have access to people and you can build the culture through relationships, right? But in an organization, those relationships are much more diffuse and distal. Like you may have only very limited contact with a lot of the people that – That are in the system that you're in. And so you have to figure out, well, how do we have a process? How do we have to, how do we have a procedure that's well articulated? So when, when I ask you to do something, you know what I mean, and you can do it. Um, because otherwise the system breaks down and, and the people who are usually impacted by that are not necessarily the people in the system. They're the people using the system, which for us students, right? So yeah, this, um, yeah, I mean, so so one of the big things I think that's really interesting and this goes to this this point I think um in multiple ways. So, um Sonenberg talks about we when we do work in these organizations, we tend to optimize for transfer instead of optimizing for retrieval. So, what he means by this is and and I'll take your your um your field experience office, as an example, right? So those folks are optimizing. They're they're doing what they think is easiest in terms of getting the information from one person to another, right? And for them, that means sending out an email, right? And it's mostly easiest for them um, because that's a very efficient way to send information to a lot of people. Email you just put all their names in the in the CC list and you blast it out and you you're done, right? right. So the problem they were is- told
1: they were told
0: right the problem is that that doesn't optimize for retrieval so if you're a student and you're trying to figure out like oh did i did i pay my bursar's bill did i get all my clearances i can't remember like they're going back through their emails and then they're saying oh well back in june i got an email saying i didn't but i feel like i did some of my clearances after that but i can't remember and right. you know so so the process is is doesn't make any sense and and is very diffuse right so so and it's very difficult for people to do this so the question is can we set up a system where all that is retrievable and we optimize for retrieval. Um, And and that may not, at least initially, be easier for the people in the field experience office because they're going to have to set up some kind of system to do this with. But in the end, it's going to accomplish something that will allow students to know, like, can you have a website where they log in and it shows what clearances they have and which ones they don't? Right. And if they don't have them, it has a nice little link about, click this link and you can go to the place where you get that clearance and then you go get, the, and here's what you do with it after you ha like, it, and I, you know, I'm spitballing here just, sure. but, but the idea is like thinking about how do we set up a system that accomplishes what we accompl- want to accomplish instead of just making our lives in the short term really easy, which is send out an email.
1: Yeah. Well, you the you sent me some stuff with the with regard to this book yeah. and I'm like looking through it just like scanning and the CPR framework yeah. is I I think we like it, the CPR framework is communication planning and resources and really focusing on those three areas, right? Yeah, and right. I think ultimately we we think so much about like communication, right? Yeah. And and when we think about resources, you know, we're just attachments, attachments, attachments. So yeah. all of it lives in, in our email, in our email, which I don't know about you, but like, I get so many emails in a day that things just get lost, yeah. and so one day I end up doing is spending so much time searching through my emails, right, and trying to find. Yep. And I, I'll be, I'll, uh, I'm, um, not a good manager of my emails. Uh, yeah, like I know some people have. You know, because with Outlook, you could set up automation so it goes to different folders or they could actually organize. You know, I'm horrible at that. I'm also not very good at deleting emails. So I'm one of those guys that has an inbox of literally thousands of emails because yeah. I never know when I'm gonna need something, especially as with the types of different, you know, roles I have, sometimes that email is a documentation of something, of a decision from somebody right. or a process that happened because all of it, you know, like somebody says, Yeah, I authorize that. And so I'm like, I have to hold on to that email, but it's like, well, what do I do with that? Like it just lives there and I try to search for it. I'm like, I know it's out there someplace. Right. But so All of it is focused on the communication stuff. We never spend any time really focusing on planning for it, like planning for like how this do, we just do it. Right. And thinking about resources and the types of resources we use and how best to do that. I'm like going, Oh gosh, we got a lot of work to do.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, I think this is exactly it. I mean, for me, it was to some degree overwhelming to think about this. I mean, another example where this comes into play is, Like one of the challenges we have at Penn State is it's very difficult to be promoted if you're a staff member in the role you're in. You have to change roles. And that often means at Penn State changing colleges. So if we have a really good staff member who's doing a great job, it's very difficult to give them a raise and give them more responsibility. They have to go somewhere else. Now, maybe we're lucky and they come back, but usually they don't and so what that means is there's a lot of churn in the staff and if wow. you don't and if you don't know what the processes are if you don't have those well articulated then those new staff spend a whole ton of time with the with other people who know parts of the job of the person who left trying to figure out what their job is and how to do it and who they need to contact and So you burn tremendous amounts of human capital trying to get this person back up to speed because it's not only them that's not doing it, but all the other staff have to support them because each staff member probably only knows a little piece of that staff member's job, right? And so this is the kind of thing that and we see that lots in higher ed like the way that we communicate between faculty members who are teaching the same course over multiple years is usually the syllabus well the syllabus is sort of helpful but it's sort of not helpful right yeah. we don't we don't really have good methods for for how do we how do we have a knowledge base so that if people want to know how to do something they know how to do it and we don't plan for any of that stuff that whole resources column right i mean it is um it's it's fascinating but but yeah, this idea that like, uh, like in the past month, as I've transitioned in this new role, I more and more hate email. Like, I was not a huge fan of email, but now I really hate it because there's so much stuff coming, and so much of it comes like what you're describing, Ali, via email. Where it's like, oh, did you get that attachment with the enrollment information? I'm like, well, probably, but I don't know. Like, who did come? Well, it came from this person. and gets CC to this person. And then, you know, to add another layer to this that you and I just talked about in our retreat is then everybody names their files the way they name yeah. their files. So then you've got this whole, and they're not named by you because they were sent to you. So now you have this big folder full of files that have terrible names like enrollment data, and that's it. No year, no nothing, or right. for who or what. I mean, enrollment data for. Who knows? And you've got this huge stack of 500 files in your in your um, downloaded inbox, and, and you're like, I don't even know how to make sense of this. I got to spend 45 minutes like culling through all these files to figure out what they are, and usually you don't rename them, so you're doing that like five or six times a week. It just yeah. becomes massive insanity.
1: Yeah, that we spent an an hour, literally an hour. Yep, talking about how we're going to name. And organize files in our our professional development group. Right. But looking at you know the CPR framework, that's important. Like we, we, that was planning, right? That's a planning process for how we're going to manage our resources, right? Now, is it the best system for it? Well, it's better than what we had, which was we had a, you know, not that we had a folder named miscellaneous, but we might as well. Have.
0: Might as well. It's like the junk drawer of files. Right. <laughs> it's just like- well, it's in
1: the junk. And then you have this over, like everything gets put into it because it's easier. And that, I think that's the challenge for me with email is that, you know, I have sort of like a like a triage, like I'll just spend time sitting to answering emails. And as I get new emails coming in, there are ones where I'm like, okay, this is a level one type of email. I have to answer this right now. Mm-hmm. Or there's something, this is easy. So this is an easy thing. I can answer the email, but then the ones that are a little harder to answer or are going to take more time or the ones that it's going to be hard to write, I tend to like, you know, push those off for a little bit just because it gives yeah. it, I need more, especially if it's something that's going to require me to schedule. Like if it's something that I know I'm going to have to like dig into my schedule, say somebody wants to have a meeting, like, yeah. Hey, I want to have a meeting about this. Can we find a time to do that? That's like, that's what I delay. And sometimes mm. I delay it to the point where I forget that it exists, you know, and yeah. that's the challenge. Is that then when someone then like cycling back, or right. hey, you know what, I I or they take it that I don't want to have that meeting, right? right. Which is not intended, right? It's nope. not the way I I. That's not the message I want to send. Nope. It's just that hey, look, I'm in it. I am in it. Right. Right. And and it's not like I'm like you know kind of sitting around drinking like a margarita down by the beach, you know. Right. <laughs>
0: yeah well, you know and it's it's uh it, it's because we're using I do the exact same thing right exact same thing um we're using email to do the planning and right and you know the thing that Sonnenberg talks about too is this idea of like okay, imagine you're going on a trip in the wilderness, like you might have a walkie talkie and a map and a compass well you don't use the compass to communicate, I mean you could, I guess, but it's dumb right it doesn't make any sense so email is designed for a purpose and we use it for all these other purposes because we've done all this optimization for transfer. It's like, well, we can do it real quick. If I can do it real quick and you know, a point he makes is if you really want to optimize for that, we should do everything over text. And then you imagine what a nightmare that would be. Like your text is barely even searchable. So can you imagine if all the communication, all the professional communication you did was over text, like you'd never be able to get anything done. It would be impossible. So yeah. this idea of like really thinking about what what are you trying to accomplish and what tools are you using and the the complexity and the scale up issues of the bigger your team gets the the worse this stuff all gets um because everybody's sending stuff around and you know it just becomes madness
1: well that that that's the that graphic to me was like really interesting it's cuz because what it has is it's kind of yeah. like this. Sh- you remember the old string art? Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Where like yeah. okay, you have like you know a square, and then you connect the ends with the square, and then you go across. Well, that's kind of the graphic that the, that this has. So like if you have a two person group, it's just one string back and forth. Like it's yeah. just me and Scott emailing back and forth or texting or whatever. Right. But then we had a third person. Now you have a triangle, and you're connecting all those different things. Well, if you have like a, a team of eight or a team of 12 or a team of 15, just think of all the strings that you have to connect with all that yeah. and all of the ways you have to manage all of that communication, all of yeah. the resources that come out of there. It is maddening. And yeah. I, I, yeah. And I think that was really clear last week when we had the retreat with our group, because um, there's what, six of us mm-hmm. in, in our group and with six different ways of naming things doing everything everything. it's like oh well i do year like just with dating a file putting a a date on a file i do four digit year then the month and then the day and then someone else like i do the european system because in sweden they do day first day month
0: year And then there's like, well, do you put periods or dashes or nothing or whatever in between those pieces, right? Yeah. And then, you know, I mean, and you imagine, you know, the exponential growth of that. uh, what What a terrifying notion that is. Like if you, but the flip side of that, it also recognizes why spending an hour figuring out your naming convention is worth it because it is multiplied Right by 45 times if you've got a 10 member team or what is it? We've got a, actually, I think we've got a seven or eight member team. So let's say we've got an eight member team. He says that's 28 connections. So if you spend wow. an hour on it, then, and it saves everybody 10 minutes, you've you've already more than made up the time, right? Because yeah. you you get 28 X return on your investment of organization because everybody saves a little bit of time. So this is how, this is why this, optimizing for retrieval is so important because if you do it, if if the person looking for the thing that they have to do doesn't have to email five people and say, hey, does anybody know where this document is? Because I'm trying to do X and I don't know how to do it. And I know there's a document, but I can't find it. It's not in the," And so then four other people have to get involved and maybe one of them answers quickly or maybe, and then people don't see it. So multiple people end up answering. And it, just like the the massive loss of of human time to this stupidity is, is, you know, sad. Like you, you have to say like, we really, we really need to have these systems in place so that we don't, you know, make our work all that much harder because it's already really hard.
1: Yeah. Well, I think one of the, th- going through this, you know, this file you sent me, they, they have a quiz, mm-hmm. right? Like, they do. and it's, re- and the quiz is, you know, really a reflective thing on, for your, for each of us to To think about how, how we do things. And they're saying, um, you know, take this quiz and when, you know, think about these things, like you need to tell your friend you're running late. How would you do that? Mm-hmm. Uh, you have an update to share with your team about a project you own. How would you do that? Uh, you need to onboard a new team member and can't remember how to do it. How would you do that? You know? And it's like the thinking about specifically the types of tools and the, and the methods of communication, that's really powerful. From from my I want we don't I won't read through all ten of them. Yeah, yeah. But but I think that what's powerful about that is thinking about the different modes of con- communication and the intentionality of it, right? Because oh. I think what we just do in our higher ed is we just go, okay, I'm going to send an email, right? I'm going to send an email because uh, because that's what we have. I don't think it's just
0: right. i red, but carry on. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right, right, yeah. It's like email, email, email when you, but, but when you start to think about like, now I don't want to text my students, right. That's not something, but there are other things we can be doing with, you know, the systems we support, uh, the students we support that aren't just, you know, I mean, when you think about like, you know, uh, learning management systems, there's announcements in learning management systems, there's maybe a place in your learning management system where you have like a faq section where you know because you keep getting the same questions all the time maybe put that and those are the types of things of like thinking about how you can do things differently to better support the people and systems you're trying to accomplish Yeah. yeah
0: yeah and i mean i think that's you know all those things are are good examples of how i mean i think one of his core pieces in that communication and planning thing is to really separate those practices out. If I'm ask, if I'm just communicating something to Ollie, right, some information to him, then I can send him an email. That's fine. He reads it and it's done. But if I want to meet with Ollie, well, then I want to send him a calendar invitation because that's a very different thing. I'm asking him to do something, to come to a meeting with me. So I want to send him an invitation and then have him say yes or no to that thing. But if I want him to do some work for me or with me or whatever, Hey, Ali, I need you to, if I do that over email, that just gets lost. Ali doesn't remember if he has to do it when he has to do it, what the deadline is. I don't remember. I don't know if Ali's done it or not because I have no way of checking because it's all just through email. So then I have to send Ali an email and say, Hey, did you do that thing? And he's like, what thing? I don't remember a thing. And, Oh, well check your email from three weeks ago. I sent you that. It's like, that's madness. Like, the communication and the planning have to be separate from each other. You have to have a place for you. And we most of us have some individual process we do for that, a to-do list or whatever.
1: I got but, one right here. It's exactly. all paper right now. Exactly. Uh,
0: but but the problem with a to-do list, at least individually, especially a paper one, is if I've asked Ollie to do that work and, and some other work is contingent on Ollie's work, And I I don't know if he's done it or not. So it's like, is there a system? And this is what he talks about is having a planning system like Asana or some of these Trello, these project planning tools that let you say, oh, I've assigned a task to Ali and I can see in the system that Ali's completed the task. Well, now I don't have to send him an email or do anything. I can see exactly where, where everything is. But that requires that you add a new tool and it requires learning that new tool and all of that costs hours cost human right. capital, but then you have to say, well, what does it save us in the long run to do that? Yeah, it's going to suck, and that's why people don't do it. Is it's like, well, it's going to be hard, and people are going to complain, and some people want email and don't want to use Teams, and you have to say, well, look, we're using Teams. I'm sorry you don't like Teams, but Teams is the way we're going to do things. So, um, you know, stuff like that is really hard.
1: I hate Teams with the fire of a thousand suns. Yeah. I mean, really hate it, but... Yeah. I use it, you know. Yeah, me too. But I I'll say this, one of the one I think um while lots of systems and organizations you know suffer from this, I think education may be unique in some ways because I think there's this sense of individual autonomy and agency that is sort of built up in and cuz like when you yeah. teach your classroom like you're in your classroom yep. you're like this is this is my domain this is my world i get to set the rules here and i worked with colleagues when like I remember when we got email addresses. So that's how I, yeah. I'm sure you do too. Uh, like, I remember when I got an email address that was organizational. Cause I it, like first couple of years of teaching, I hadn't had an email address. I was like, Oh, look at this. We have an email address. And I had students. I mean, I had faculty members. I still have people on campus who say this. I don't do email. Yeah. I don't do email. Yeah. And it's just like, yeah, I had, we had a, uh, I, I had a, big conversation with a faculty member just recently who said, I don't go to, I don't do zoom. I'm not doing zoom meetings. If my Dean is going to invite me to a zoom meeting, I'm not going to go. And I'm like, uh, what? No. <laughs> it's, it. I mean, but that's, but I think there's a sense of autonomy, right. Mm. That you have or agency over your Communication and your you get to set the rules for your classroom, and then that sort of spreads out to be I can set up the rules for me because yeah. I am a sovereign agent at this yeah. university. Right?
0: No, I, I mean I think that's an endemic problem in in higher ed that I that I think impacts lots of areas of our work. Sure. Right? Which is faculty see themselves as essentially. Independent contractors. Like I work yeah. for Penn State, but really I work for me. I'm building my brand. I'm publishing my articles. I'm publishing my books. I'm getting my SRTEs up. I'm doing whatever it is so I can do this thing. Like you're building your brand, um, and it, and you know maybe this is my switch into administrator mindset and maybe I'm, I'm going to regret <laughs> I'm gonna it. I'm going to watch it
1: happen right here. I know. Let, let. So,
0: but <laughs> I'm, I'm leaning like, okay, well, if you don't want to do zoom meetings, then you don't need a university computer. You can buy your own computer and put your own tools on it and pay for your own stuff. And, you know, I mean, the university provides you with a computer and the tools and the purpose of that is so that you can participate in the work that you need to do at the university. Um, Now that's, I would never actually say that to anybody, but it, but it is like the flip side of this is um, independent contractors mentality for faculty doesn't take into account um, this. I don't know the reality that we are still a community, right? That we are a community and that, that to succeed as individuals, we need some of that community. And when you don't participate as an individual, what you do is you do damage to your colleagues. You make yeah. them do work so that you can be more independent. And that also is an equity issue, especially when that's distributed inequitably, what it almost always is, right? It's usually the people of color and the women who are carrying that extra work and that emotional labor and all that stuff of like, oh, we have to be a community. So I'm going to invite people to this thing or I'm going to. Whatever, right? These this sense of like, how do you, how are they going to create community? So it it is, it's a devilish problem because uh, you know, that is an, a big disadvantage that higher ed has is that a lot of the employees, the system is set up to make them feel like they're independent operators, and that makes it much harder. You know, we talk about herding cats; it makes it much harder to get faculty to do stuff.
1: Yeah, and and I I think that. That makes it even harder when you start to think about, okay, we have to make changes on behalf of, you know, these impending existential crises that are, that are on, on the horizon, you know, and it's like, okay, well, I, I always handle that through email. I mean, it's like, hold on, like there are other processes we could be using and, and sometimes there's resistance to that.
0: Um, Yeah. Well, it's like everything, right? I mean, people don't like change. We could take this back to so many of the things that we talk about, right? Like one of the reasons that teachers don't want to change the way they teach is it's hard and there's going to be an intermediate stage where things are awkward and you don't feel good at what you're doing and nobody likes to feel that way. So it's like, oh, and this is how I've been with teams, right? Like I'm, I'm trying to use teams more, as we say, I'm not a huge fan, but these, these initial stages are really awkward. I'm like, well, wait a minute. How do I put a task in here? What do I? What's the difference between like a team and a channel? And how do I organize and all that? You have to ask all these questions and figure out your own stuff, and that's not fun. It makes me feel no. incompetent, and I don't like feeling that way. But I also know that if I don't fix this, that I'm doomed. Right? I'm going to be crushed by all of this nonsense. So you do have to figure out, like, well, what what's your what's your workaround to make this thing happen?
1: Well, I will say this, even though I, I have this, you know, this hatred for, for teams and office 365 in general, there are some pretty cool things. If you dig in there that, that you can do that would change your workflow. I'll give you a, for instance, uh, friend of the show, Leslie Gates and I are working on a project where we're trying to have people sign up for stuff and they want to sign up for a meeting with the two of us, you know, and trying to figure out a time. So we, we use bookings mm-hmm. and This is something I I spent some time working with a few semesters ago because I want to have students be able to, you know, sign up for office hours. Well, she took it to the next level. Like she figured out a way that both of us are in there so that a student can or a person can come and sign up for a meeting with the two of us at the same time. And that's, and it's really cool. And it sends us an email and it sends the person an email and it sends them with all like it's all automated. Right. And it's, it's, it's really pretty slick and it's something that you know i it made me hate Office three sixty five and teams just a little less maybe it's yeah. a, a maybe not a you know the the hot fire of a thousand or a million yeah. suns one less we did one, one less one, one less
0: yeah it's like a <laughs> fungus it slowly grows on you and eventually you're just covered in fungus next
1: thing you know i'm like getting a tattoo with <laughs> fungus guy yeah <laughs> with a,
0: like clippy <laughs> yeah <with> clippy. <laughs> Hey, can I help
1: you today? Hey, it looks like you're (laughs) writing a letter.
0: (laughs) I've got some suggestions and a template for you. Uh,
1: Oh, gosh.
0: Go go away, Clippy.
1: (laughs) That right there is like really inside baseball. For (laughs) all the old folks out there who are like, oh, Clippy, I love
0: Clippy. Clippy McClipperson, the little paper clip who helped you whenever you needed it.
1: just wanted to punch the screen anytime Clippy (laughs) came up. But we need – it's almost like we need a Clippy that – you know, when you're doing something organizationally that you're like, you know, this probably is not an email. Have you thought about making a phone call, you mm-hmm. know, so, you know, and rather than like a million emails or have you thought about like, and here are the other ways you could do this. Yeah. Yeah. Better, better living through Clippy.
0: <laughs> that's a lot.
1: <laughs> I know,
0: but I think that's a good transition to joys.
1: Sure. Absolutely. Sure. Yeah. You have, you have One
0: um sure i have one um so i've been reading so i'm a i a. those of you who are are long-time fans of the show hello leslie um <laughs> <laughs> um would know that i'm a soccer fan um i like soccer f- slash football depending on what continent you're on and um i'm a liverpool fan specifically in the in the Premier League started this weekend, so that was fun for me. But prior to that, I've been reading a book that I just finished called Among the Thugs. It's by Bill Buford and it's from the eighties. Um, and he went over and and this is related to Liverpool in that one of the worst disasters in uh in English football history happened in a Liverpool match where um I think it was ninety-two fans were crushed to death at a at a uh, Liverpool match. Um, But what he did is he went over to England to try to understand the sort of um, violent thug culture of, of English soccer and uh, or English football. And, um, and it's a, I mean, it's not a, it's not a happy book. I don't know if it gives me joy, but it gave me a real understanding of something that I don't think I really understood about English football and how tightly it's tied to this sort of history of, of violence in um, not just in the UK, but around, around the world, but, but the UK sort of exemplifies it in a lot of ways. So um, it's a really well written book. It's anthropological. And I like these kinds of things where it's a, he embedded himself basically for three years. He was a, he was a football fan. He went to matches and he went to away matches um, where they were, you know, the away teams are like penned up in these basically fenced in pens so that they don't interact with the other, the other uh team's fans now this is the old-timey it's i don't think it, the violence in, in football is quite as bad as it was back then so i though i still think it's around if you watch welcome to Wrexham, they talk about the, the yeah, fan violence and yeah. that the hooligans and the firms what the, the parts of the team fan base that are called the firms and basically they they are the fighting members of the fan base anyway it's a i mean if you're if you're uh if you're a fan of English football, um, it's really interesting. If you're not, it's a fascinating study of crowd behavior and um, and its propensity for violence. And I think we've certainly seen a lot of that in our current society, this willingness to if you get a large enough group of people together, you can you can get some pretty bad stuff happening, um, even if the people in that group are not necessarily bad actors. Um, so, yeah, it's a it's a really interesting book
1: yeah one of the things that i when i was traveling last summer i went to a, a museum um with another friend of ours jason um and it was in sweden we were in stockholm and uh there was an exhibit a photo exhibit of how soccer was the a force for change
0: in Ooh, different
1: countries and different you know uh, political movements and charted it across time with photos And it was this big, huge photo exhibit and and, you know, showing it in South America, showing it in all these different cultures. And it was really I mean, soccer itself is just such a um, complex sport, not just in terms of how it is played, but because it's been around so long and in so many different cultures that its impact on cultures is is different. Right, because they yeah. talked about how the uh, you know different teams within a community you know one was you know um, you know on one political party another one was being supported by another political party and so when these two teams played these, the violence that would come out of it it's just it was really really interesting yeah. and so but that's not my joy. It's um, not? No, my joy is I saw this movie. It was just a, a like a my wife and I sat down like a Sunday night. We're like, Hey, let's watch something. And I'd heard some buzz around. They cloned Tyrone. Mm-hmm.
0: Do not know All this.
1: Right. All right. So it's on Netflix. It is it's about two hours long. Um, starring Jamie Foxx and John Baega and Tiona P- Paris, who was in, uh, she's in a bunch of stuff. Um, it's set in a city. Doesn't really say what city it is, but it, Basically takes every conspiracy theory that you would think that happens in, you know, urban Mm -hmm. settings and plays them out. And it's kind of like a dark comedy because there are times where you're laughing and it's also like a, uh, it's an action movie and it's about like this organization that's cloning, you know, people. And it's really, it's, it's a dark, dark comedy that um wow. was a lot of fun was a lot of fun and i think it's setting up a you know maybe not a f- franchise but maybe like you know a series cuz they're they're going to have another one of these because there's just so much buzz around this movie and it's really entertaining very entertaining
0: that's wild okay they, so they say, clone
1: time i'm not saying anything you, else
0: uh, no no i was going to just say the title again Okay, they, so cloned, they cloned Tyrone. They cloned Tyrone, all right, man?
1: Yeah. So there yeah. you go. Check it out because it is really—it's not for everybody, um, <laughs> but is it, because it's got this like '70s yeah. black exploitation vibe to it. You know those yeah. kinds of movies. You know those movies from like the '70s where it's all like, like urban. You know. Sure. Prime, and there's like you know, people who gritty are trying, and grimy and,
0: gritty and very gritty, and
1: lots of. I mean, it's really R, but it's a hard R for, for language. It is like boom, boom, boom okay. the profanity. Um, so if you're like you know, allergic to profanity, so I would probably steer clear of it because they're they come hot and heavy with the profanity, <laughs> yes,
0: awesome, hot and heavy, yes, hot and heavy. All right,
1: they clone Tyrone.
0: They clone Tyrone. All right. Yeah. Well, there it is. We did it.
1: Yeah. I don't know if uh, I don't know if we figured out anything, but we certainly identified the problem. We talked we about figured.
0: a lot of stuff. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I do think, like, well, I don't know if we ever figure out anything, but. <laughs>
1: I don't think people come here for that.
0: <laughs> I, hope, I hope not because they will be sadly disappointed. I mean, I be. think they're sadly disappointed anyway, but that would be just yet another thing for them to be sadly disappointed. <laughs> yeah. about.
1: Reason number 175.
0: <laughs> why, why? I don't understand why I still subscribe to this podcast.
1: <laughs> yes. Wow. We'll be back next week. <laughs> and We'll see you yeah,
0: then. In between. Bye right, now.